When it comes to security, risk management, and compliance, what would the industry's first chief information security officer say to today's security leaders? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. It's my pleasure to be speaking again today with Steve Katz, former CISO at J.P. Morgan, City, Merrill Lynch, and widely recognized as the industry's first Chief Information Security Officer. Steve, it's a pleasure to be talking with you again. Uh, pleasure is mine, Tom. It's always enjoy speaking with you. Steve, I know that retirement isn't in your vocabulary, so give us a sense of what you are doing today to keep busy and to keep involved in the industry. God, I hope I never retire. The industry probably has the greatest bunch of Chief Information Security Officers and Chief Risk, Information Risk Officers that it has ever had. Far and away, the most talented group of people you would ever want to work with, and I'm privileged to work with and mentor a bunch of those. So I work with CISOs and mentor CISOs in a number of uh, financial services companies and in a couple of health services companies. I'm also an executive advisor to Deloitte's Information Security and Privacy and Risk Practice, sitting on a couple of advisory boards, uh, uh, CSG Invertas, Agari, uh, Triumphant, Fortscale, I find mentoring CISOs, Chief Information Risk Officers, and mentoring young companies to be you know, probably more fun than I really deserve to have, and it's my ability to pay back an industry that has been so incredibly kind and good to me. Well, more than ever, it seems, you've got visibility into security organizations in a variety of industries. So from that perspective, how do you assess the state of information security today? When Alfred Sloan formed General Motors, he had a plaque on his desk that read, when you stop getting better, you stop being good. And I think now more than ever, the CISOs recognize that they are on an incredible journey and they have to keep getting better every day. The potential actual adversaries, whether they be hackers for fun, a fair amount of cyber criminals out there who figure out you can make a tremendous amount of money harvesting and reselling financial records, and more importantly, uh, making form, uh, far more money by harvesting and selling health information. Then you have the government-sponsored folks out there trying to either disrupt one sector or another or uh, steal intellectual property. Additionally, the technology is far more complicated than it once was, and the hacker skill, the adversary skills, have improved uh, dramatically. Uh, it's no longer the script kitty who's sitting in a basement just trying to figure something out for fun and games. These guys are truly professional, well-educated, well-trained, well-focused, and having lots of time to go after uh, any particular target that they choose to look at. If you want a challenge today, information security is the area, and it gets interesting when you start seeing the geopolitical situation that we have and you see sanctions in place and economic pushing and pulling between the U.S. and other countries, the attacks, you know, the number of attacks just increase. Well, Steve, to follow up on that, given everything you've just laid out for us, how would you say the threat landscape has evolved since you last had a position as a CISO? Interestingly enough, I spent about a year and a half of, of the past uh, three years, I guess, uh, running an information security program at a large health care uh, company. What I've seen, again, is that when we, we once thought, thought we had boundaries, we don't have boundaries. We once thought there were fairly effective but similar ways that uh, adversaries would try to come into a network or try to come into a system. No longer the case. 
Uh, you're looking at mobile as an entry path, you know, as an entry uh, pathway. You're looking cloud as an entry pathway, but you're also looking at point of sale terminals as an entry pathway. I'm sure, friends at Target and Home Depot can relate to that. If there is a hole, and it can be infinitesimally small, these guys have the time to find it. They're intellectually curious enough. Uh, they will look. They will dig deeply. We thought when we looked at security when I was doing this actively, and our focus was really on how do we effectively prevent a problem. You know, first prevent, then detect, and then remediate. I think in certain cases, today's world, detection becomes the new prevention. Things are happening so incredibly fast, and you can't prevent 100% of anything. So I think in many cases, the world of technology is either explicitly or implicitly taking a look at the human body. The human body says, I'm going to try to prevent whatever diseases I can, but I'm going to have the finest detection capabilities that nature can provide. And I think we're seeing the same thing today. How quickly can we detect something happening, and how much can we compress time between detection and remediation? And I think that's a challenge. First one is recognizing that you can't prevent. It's not uh, if something happens. It's when something happens. It, when it happens, it's generally a very stealthy, slow way. So the challenge I think the uh, folks on the uh, on the CISO side of the fence have is trying to figure out how they can effectively pick something up and recognize that as a problem before there's a problem. It's almost like looking for a blood marker to indicate that there's a disease in the body before the disease manifests itself. And that's probably the biggest challenge. The other one is there are no perimeters. If you think you have a boundary, you don't. The boundary is anybody who has any device that potentially can access your network or, or your service. Steve, you've had the opportunity to be at the head of several large financial organizations, and most recently you've, you've spent a stint in healthcare. How would you say you have seen the security posture of some of these leading organizations evolve to keep pace with the threats? One of the best things and maybe the scariest things and most difficult things to deal with is that information security has become a board of directors issue. Uh, when I first started in this, you know, the, the board sort of looked at it, hey, that was an IT function, leave me alone, I'm paying an IT guy to deal with it. It is now an IT function, it's viewed as a business risk management function. Boards of directors, either through uh, audit committees or risk committees, or, you know, requiring that the CISO come in and report to them regularly on the state of security, the state of security risk within the company. They are as good as the uh, as the CISOs in terms of paying attention to what the talking heads are saying on CNN or Fox or Fox Business or CNBC. A Wall Street Journal technology page is great at listing uh, any kind of problem that's out there, and the first thing the CISO hears when they come in in the morning is, I just saw X, Y, and Z on a uh, TV program this morning. Tell me it can't happen here. The other thing which has improved, uh, and this is really a function of how effective and confident the CISO is, and that is they're being able to go into the boards and being able to go into executive management and saying, we cannot guarantee 100% security. We are going to do our best to give you a risk perspective of here's our, a, a view of what the problem is, here's our view of how vulnerable we are to that particular problem, here's our view of how easy or difficult it is for someone to take advantage of a vulnerability, here's the impact, and here are three means of trying to mitigate that attack. And 
recognize that it's going to be A, B, C, and D. One is going to be more expensive than the other, and even the most expensive will not give you 100% security or, or make you 100% risk-free. So the change is looking at security issues as a risk issue and also being able to stand up and say, when we put in some sort of remediation or some sort of, con sort of control, we have mitigated risk, we have not eliminated it. And coming back to the board who expects the CISO today to speak in a language that they will understand, understanding that in a financial services institution, when you take an equity petition, you may lose. When you make a loan, you may lose. And the data there is, the quantitative data is, is extraordinarily good in terms of financial risk. The data in terms of technology risk is nowhere nearly as complete. The models are nowhere nearly as good. And the best we can do in, in, in information risk and security risk is provide a directional indicator. We can be essentially a compass showing relative risk, but we will not be as precise as a, as a watch. And the ability of the security officer to gain the confidence of the board so that when they hear something, A, the board will push back, but they will also know that they have somebody in the position who understands the position and understands how information risk is integrated into the business, but more importantly, the business is integrated in, into informational risk. The other thing that's interesting is that at one time in information security, we said we wanted to partner with the business. And partnership sort of almost sets up you and they will kind of work together. I think the reality is today we're trying to find a way to integrate and to integrate business into security and integrate security into the business. So it's not an us and them, but a we. See, if I come back to this notion that you've had the opportunity to work both in financial services and most recently in healthcare, which are two of the most targeted industries, where do you see the biggest gaps today between the security threats and the security controls? The security gaps are occur because we're dealing with technology that is inherently imperfect. And as one new technology is delivered and, we, and put it out there for a couple, of, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, we're going to find a significant number of vulnerabilities that we didn't know existed. And I, and I, uh, I'm a big Apple fan. I'm downloading iOS 8 tonight, and I'm sure as heck that over the next couple of weeks, there'll be a, a whole lot of uh, issues around iOS 8. We're going to see the same thing in the uh, next, uh, you know, next release of uh, uh, Mac OS. So the technology is constantly changing. It carries inherent risk. And companies still have to deliver products and services to customers. I think the big, uh, you know, significant concern is certainly how, how secure is, our, is the application code that we're implementing, but how good are we at recognizing that, whoops, we've got a problem, and, you know, and how quickly can we detect that problem, and how quickly can we actually go ahead and remediate the problem? What I found in common in both health services and in financial services is it comes down to the data. Uh, it's the data dummy. The regulatory... Uh, controls and county controls that you have in place differ somewhat from uh, sector to sector. But it ultimately comes down to how effectively are you protecting access to, to that data, how effectively can you ensure the in integrity of that data, and how effectively can you ensure the uh, availability of that data. Well, it sounds kind of interesting, and I know it directly relates. Generally, in financial services, we've always, we've always looked at confidentiality, integrity, and availability. When it's not the time in the health sector, availability trumps confidentiality. And the, and the pushback there was, in financial services, 
you may lose a record, you may lose money. If systems aren't available in health services, you're going to lose a life. So availability became incredibly important, then integrity of data, and then confidentiality. But it still comes down to what are we doing to protect the data? Steve, in another direction entirely, now that you're not in information security day-to-day, how do you keep up with security trends and solutions and stay current in what's happening in the field? I live on my Internet connections. Your organization, your online magazines, there are a couple others that come in, various other sources. Brian Krebs, the first thing is Krebs on security. First thing I look at, Wall Street Journal, what do they have out there? Then there's a, another company that sends out three, you know, probably 10, 12 emails a day that look at security, some more, you know, some more technical than others. And lots of phone calls and meetings with the CISOs that I mentor and trying to find out what they're focusing on. And then way back, when I was doing this as a, as a you know, day-to-day job, threat intelligence didn't have the focus that it has today. And there are companies today that have threat intelligence departments with 20, 30 people in them pulling information from all sources in all languages, and they have multilingual threat intelligence analysts all over, all over the globe, which is something that we didn't think about when I was at City or Merrill or, J- or Morgan Guarantee, but is uh, you know, front and center today, as is application security, which is front and center today. What is scary is you, the, I don't think we have enough of a talent pool, both in terms of security technology and, interestingly enough, maybe you know, equally as important, Executive security management, the most effective CISOs are those who recognize that they have to thoroughly understand the businesses that they are supporting, thoroughly understand the products that those businesses offer, and thoroughly can engage business executives and the C-suite by speaking in a way that you're not coming across as you know, trying to explain technology to them, but trying to make sure they understand the risk that you're trying to address and the impact of those risks on the business products and services that they have. The focus on soft skills is you know, just increased dramatically, and I think the, the academic community has done a pretty good job of trying to improve technological training. I think they have to do, it, do significantly more to enhance and improve the soft skills for those information security professionals that want to move into executive management. Steve, you've mentioned a couple times the CISOs that you mentor. And it leads me to my final question, which is whether it's the CISOs you mentor or if you were going to be speaking to someone who aspired to the CISO role, what's some of the key advice you offer to these individuals so that they can be successful in these roles? I ask them to think about what skills they want to enhance and what skills they're willing to de-emphasize. If they're coming up, and as many of them did, and first of all, I moved into this, out of a technological area, they're coming in as technological experts. If they're going to move into an executive CISO role, they're going to have to ratchet down the technological skills and go from technologically expert to being technologically knowledgeable while ratcheting up their ability to run a marketing and awareness education program, uh, run a financial program, run a metrics program, and routinely meet with business executives who have to understand that Information security is a business issue, not a technology issue. I also see something interesting potentially happening in the information security area, and that is a potential bifurcation of focus, where you will have a chief information security officer slash chief information risk officer 
potentially being part of a risk group or a legal group or reporting it to the CEO or certainly being a peer of the CIO, and then having a chief security technology officer who will be doing the implementation. So the CIRO or CISO will be the governance guy. He or she will be the person defining what and why and measuring how effectively it's being done. And the chief technology security officer who will be certainly part of the CIO organization will be implementing the how. And the control will be the governance group reporting on how effectively the hows have been implemented and what the metrics are coming out of that. But it's really saying, where do you want to play? There's some technology guys that say, I really want to be a deep dive technology guy. I really want to be an implementer. I want to be in operations. That's great. And the guys are saying, I, you know, I, I think I want to be a CISO, but I don't, I'm not sure when to give all my technical skills. And my advice to them is take some time, think about it, and say, are you going to be comfortable talking to the C-suite? Are you going to be comfortable standing up in front of a board of directors? Are you going to be comfortable pushing back on the CIO to address a level of risk that's going to impact his on-time performance statistics. So it's a really interesting change in career dynamics. One is not necessarily better than the other. They are different. I think there are probably more good security technology officers than there are good chief information security executives. There's probably just a handful of those. I think the transition can be made. It requires mentoring. It requires, in many cases, going back to school. It also requires a commitment to saying, this is what I want my career to be. Steve, as always, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks so much for taking time to talk with me. My pleasure, Tom. The topic has been advice to today's security leaders. I was talking with Steve Katz, former CISO with J.P. Morgan, Citi, Merrill Lynch, and many organizations. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.